Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where we hear the tips, strategies, and lessons learned of the top data science and data analytics leaders from around the world. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you're having a wonderful week. This episode is a slightly different type of episode. This is about a presentation that I did at the IAPA conference. If you don't know IAPA, it is the Institute of Analytics Professionals of Australia. They've been doing a lot of great work for the community for a number of years in Australia. And every year they hold an analytics conference. The theme of their most recent conference was Making Analytics Matter. And I spoke about making analytics matter for your customers. So in this talk, I focus on a mindset shift and on the ways that we as analytics professionals can start to leverage the good work that we do inside our organizations and pivot it slightly so we can add more value to the end customer while still working within the commercial realities of an organization. So making sure that all parties win. But this approach that I'll be presenting introduces a greater focus on the end customer segment. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Here is the presentation. Oh, that's great. So for the people at the front, there was some hands at the back from people that listen to Data Futurology. So it's very good to see. And yeah, as Anthony said, when I first came to Australia in 2002, I did not speak any English. And I just came as a backpacker, loved it, decided to stay. I couldn't pay for English, English classes, obviously. So I tried to get a job, couldn't get a job as a waiter or anything else. And what I ended up doing is going into door-to-door sales where I had to knock on over 120 doors a day selling Optus home phone and internet. And it was commission only. They gave me a script, which I had to read out. So I'd knock on the door and be like, hello. Anyway, people invited me into their homes and taught me English and gave me food and people did not buy. <laughs> That's what you're thinking, yeah. But it was a really great experience and we got to travel a little bit with the job. So I was based in Queensland at the time and obviously was in Brisbane, but went to Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, up to Cairns, uh, Harvey Bay, Bundy. So all over Queensland, and it was really great. So now, almost 20 years later, I'm very honored, very humbled to be speaking in front of you today. I was yeah, very humbled when and asked to speak to you all. And I wanted to talk to you about making analytics matter for your customers. So just a, a quick one, as Anne said, so I work at Liberty Financial, look after data science, data engineering, etc. I have this podcast called Data Futurology, where every week I sit down with a leader in the industry, usually a C-level executive, a head of data science, somebody that has had about 15 years experience in the space. We talk through their story, what they've done, how they got to where they are, what are their tips. So the main focus is what is the lessons that they can share with the next generation of analytics leaders that are coming up. That's the main thing that we talk about. And it's focused on all the other skills that are required to be great in our space. So I find that the majority of the content out there is very focused on the technical side. And there's a lot of discussion of like, should you use R or Python? Or what type of algorithm are you using? Have you looked at the latest deep learning library updates? So I think that, that that side is very well covered. The side that I found that is not as well covered is uh, leadership in data science, strategy in data science, stakeholder management, or starting building a team. Those are the things that we discuss in Data Futurology. And I'm also uh, one of the co-organizers for Data Science Melbourne Meetup Group. And now that Meetup Group is the 
second largest data science meetup group in the world, which is amazing to see. So really, really excited about the meetup group. All right, so going back to the topic, it was about making analytics matter for your customers. How many people have heard this before from a company? They say, we put customers at the heart of everything that we do. It's all about the, yeah, right? So people are laughing, yeah, exactly. It's something that is said, but something that is not followed through with the actions, in my personal opinion. So, and in general, I think if you're trying to develop a relationship of trust, that it's the actions that speak louder than the words. So today I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about how we can transition from the words to some actions and what do those actions look like to actually show that we care about customers. Obviously, as we know, heaps of companies have succeeded through analytics. All of that success has been by them, for them. So even if you think of the large tech companies, if you think of Facebook, their algorithm is optimized to suck you in for the longest amount of time. So you're there the longest amount of time. So then they can give you the highest number of ads and therefore their ad revenue is the highest. So they're using very, very advanced analytics for their benefit to get you in. Through that process, uh, companies have amassed heaps and heaps of data. And this is obviously not just the big tech companies, but every almost every single company has heaps of data. And uh, this rise, this hype has given jobs to us. So obviously, there's some people that have benefited us. It's pretty good. But I think that we can do better and start to take a different turn. So my thesis for today, my argument, maybe my plea, or my point of view. Well, let's go with point of view. My point of view is that the next wave of companies that will benefit largely from analytics, the next wave of companies that will do great are the ones that have these behaviors that we're going to talk about, about actually showing to the customers that we care about them and doing that through the actions and specifically by using analytics to benefit the individuals, almost whether they're with you or not as an institution, as a service provider. Give them something back that makes their lives better where there's no direct tie or benefit to you. And I think that by doing that with our analytics or the companies that do that are the ones that are going to have great success in this next phase that I think is coming up. So let's talk about what does that mean using customer, uh, using analytics for our customers. Let's talk about three uh, simple ways to do it. So how do we get started? And some examples that I've thought of for different industries. So yeah, this is going back to my previous point. Next wave of successful companies, I think, are the ones that are going to show that they actually care about the customer. And that's feeding the data back to the customer with insights in a way that's valuable for the end customer. Now, this can be applied on the B2B side and on the B2C side, because at the end, we're dealing with humans. We're dealing with people in a business setting. For example, in the company that I work with, our B2B channel is brokers. So people that help consumers get loans and their individual businesses. If we think of them as a business, it's very hard to say what type of analytics is relevant for them. But if we think of them as people trying to make decisions for trying to make decisions in their life, whether that's life life or business life, that takes us a lot further into finding something that can be valuable for them. And obviously thinking of individual consumers is much easier because we can put ourselves in their shoes. So remind me to point out that so far, there's the amount of data that's actually being used compared to what's being generated. The part that's being used is in the single digit of a percentage. So I think it's about 5 to 7% of the data being captured. 5 to 7% of that is actually being used. So the opportunity that we have is actually huge. 
So now let's get into uh, three easy ways to show some love to your customers. Show them that you care. What are these actions that we can take and how can we repurpose the processes the, that we have today, the smarts that we have today, our approaches that we have today, how can we repurpose it with this new lens? So first one, I should say, they're not, they're not complicated, obviously. So first one, benchmarking. I remember as a school kid, when I was at school, when I was at, at university, I would always think, how am I going compared to others? We just got marks back from a test. Am I top 50%? Am I top 30%? Am I top 10%? How am I gauging? I think that the benchmarking is very often overlooked. And uh, during my time at ANZ, we... So obviously, before I was at Liberty, I was at ANZ for about four years. And we built a lot of analytics as a value add to our financial services products. And one of the things that hit the nail in the head the most, so one of the things that was most interested for, interesting for customers was this benchmarking. How were they going against their peers, against their competition, against what could be done in the market? And we wanted to contextualize those insights for them. And I think it's something that we were at the time doing it for, for large corporations. So in the institutional division of any major bank, the companies, the customer is publicly listed companies. So huge companies where the smallest one has revenue of 400 million per year. Like multinationals, ridiculously huge. And I think that those are the type of smarts, obviously, that we as an analytics community work on and, and we're really used to and comfortable doing. But I think we can, by through automation, we can take those same smarts and repurpose them, point them to adding value to an individual. Benchmarking is a really, really easy one to see how you're going against other people. And we'll see some examples in a bit. Second one is predictions and forecasts. So at the moment and probably in the last couple of years, there's been a rise of these AutoML tools, right? So some are bought, uh, some are open source, and that allows us to create heaps and heaps of models that are optimized, and we can do that very quickly as long as we have the data in a good shape. Uh, some of the ones that, that we've been looking at is like the h2o.ai open source package. There's also a library in Python called Teapot, I know it sounds like tea that you drink. It's just a tea, like the little tea, and then P-O-T. Those two generate supervised learning models that are optimized and ready to go. So you can do that at scale, right? So create heaps and heaps of models. And for the time series and forecasting side, there's things like Facebook Profit. So Facebook open-sourced a Python library called Profit, where you can do really great time series forecast very, very easily. And it also does a bunch of optimization in the background. I think that that, with all the data that we have about customers, we have it in good shape generally, like obviously not everywhere. In a lot of places, we're moving to better quality data. Our initial aim is to have that data in good shape for our internal business purposes. So we can analyze and make decisions. So we can move when the market changes. So we can beat our competition from a business perspective. There's a lot of automated tools that can help us redirect those skills and use the same tools, but for value to individuals, to either business customers or individual customers or consumer customers, but use that for the individual and essentially for you. And we'll look at some examples, but for you to get the benefits of predictions and forecasts. And then the last out of these three is uh, key drivers. So with, with uh, a lot of the machine learning models, you can get feature importance that says these are the three things that most affect this metric that you care about or this metric that we're talking about. But it doesn't have to be machine learning. It can be a lot simpler. These uh, through aggregations, right? Aggregations over periods of time where, and we'll look at examples, but say with your finances, it can say your top three areas of expenses are your rent, your food, and your transport. 
And this is how it's changed over the last couple of years that you've been a customer with of us. And then you can start to dig a little bit deeper. So these simple aggregations that are then shown back to the customer is something really easy to do that can start to add a lot of value. And the purpose behind this, or the reason why, is because everyone wants to be better in their life. Everyone wants to know how we're going, that we can do a little bit better. We would love that feedback. Eat better, feel better, work better. Everyone wants to be fitter, everyone wants to save some money, have greater wealth. Those are the types of really human aims, human desires that as an analytics community, we can help the customers feel those or we can help the customers improve their progress and achieve the goals that they have through the use of analytics with the data that we have. So let's look at some examples. Hopefully this is all making sense. So first example, and these are just ones that I've, that I've uh, sort of thought of in groceries. How good would it be as you're going to the shops? A lot of companies have a grocery app. You can say which store is your closest one. And if you're going for a shop, sometimes you can put in the list of items that you're after. I can say, so a good suggestion would be, I can see that you're making this pasta meal. Would you like some free garlic bread? Just grab it, put it through a till, it, um, through the cashier. It won't cost you anything free, a gift from us. So it's a, it's a nice personalized touch. It's something sort of unexpected. It's something that is a surprise and it leverages the data that the company already has from people. We can have things like, do you have to buy toilet paper? You're going to the store, obviously using the app. They know which store, they know where you are. Should you buy toilet paper today? And I know for a fact that in the large grocery retailers in Australia, they have predictive models that say, Anthony should buy toilet paper today favorite customer. And then by having that prediction, what happens, and this is obviously using the like the flybys data, the loyalty data. And what happens is that if you don't buy toilet paper from them that day, their assumption and what goes back into the model is that you bought that from a competitor. And then they say, okay, you would have bought maybe an eight pack, maybe a 16 pack. It means that you might come back to buy it in four weeks or eight weeks from us and come back to buy it from us. Why is that value, that information locked in the company? I, for example, have a terrible memory. And if I love reminders, outsource as much reminding as I can to various apps, my wife, anyone who would listen. <laughs> so anyway, for me, something like this would be great. Walking in, hey, do you have toilet paper? I'd be, ah, great. Similar one, do you have garlic? Do you have enough garlic? It's been a few months since you bought garlic. You generally buy it every three months. I don't know, maybe I don't use much garlic. Maybe you guys buy it every two weeks. But a reminder saying, hey, do you have enough garlic? Easy, easy based off the things that are already in the company. Another one, do you need milk today? You buy milk every four days. Remember to buy milk when you're going to the shop today. Another one closer to what people consume, you might be going into buy your normal white rice and going to the eating healthier or eating better. The app might give you a suggestion to say, hey, how about you try brown rice today? These are some of the benefits. Maybe we can give you a discount, but if not, like this is how it would benefit your life and you can say yes or no and then the app can start to learn your preferences, your eating preferences, because obviously it's so personal and varied as well. And then another one that would be really great, especially for like a forgetful person like me, to have a one-click buy on all the groceries that you should be getting today or would get as your patterns and we'll get it that delivered in two hours for you because we can see that you will need that today. One-click buy. I would love that. Would anyone else love that? Show hands, yeah, quick one, couple people, yeah, nice. So anyway, I think that using the analytics for the customer would be great. Another example is on cars. So 
cars at the moment, even the ones that are not being labeled as self-driving cars or that have, you know, level three, level four automation, like if you exclude the Teslas and things, all the other cars, they've actually come a long way when it comes to cameras, sensors, and computing power that goes in the car. So there's heaps of data that's being stored in there that is doing adaptive cruise control where it slows down if it sees a car in front of you. It gives you a warning if there's something on your side when you're trying to merge. Again, let's use this data and feed it back to the customer adding value. So you can say, generally, you merge quite late. This is an alert that I would get out of my car. It'd be like, as a driver, you suck. I would love to know that. Yeah, anyway, at the moment with um, some of the newer cars, you have two keys. So like I have one, my wife has one, and the seat adjusts based on who opens the car, which keys is um, used to open the car. That gives you the profile. <laughs> And then we have the data, we have the cameras and the sensors all around it. And to say, hey, we see through the camera in the car, we see the speed limit. You drive a bit over it. You go 105% of the speed limit, 30% of the time that you drive. Are you happy with that? It increases your risk by X percent. Are you happy with that? Something else, like you are at your most dangerous between 8 and 9 p.m. when it's in the rain. So the assumption behind it might be you've had a long day at work, you're just driving back home, it's raining. Knowing that you're your most dangerous would change the way that you drive, would make you a safer driver because you're aware. But in this case, we're highlighting an insight. We're highlighting a pattern about the person, one that I would not get. You're safer than 80% of drivers. You might get that. It's great. Like it would be a great, and obviously like having some key points as to what makes you a safe driver and then what are some things that you can improve. Great. Like get some feedback, get some coaching. And then in thinking about this, if the car was giving you some of the signals that we just spoke about, wouldn't you be more inclined to give it some data or some feedback back to it? To say, if the car says, hey, it's 8 p.m., you just got into your car, it's raining and you're going to drive. By the way, this is where you're at your riskiest driving. How are you feeling? How tired are you? Scale of one to five. Are you likely to go, you know what? I'm actually feeling like a four out of five. I'm quite tired. How about you give me brighter lights? louder beeps, more insistent alerts, just for this time where the car knows that I'm at greater risk and I would like to be safe, obviously. You're giving me the info, I'll give you some info back and then help me out. Oh, this is with the smartwatches, like the Garmin's, the Fitbits. How many people have a Fitbit, a Garmin, something like that? Good, nice. It gives you some information. Based on the information that it has, it can go much, much further. So it can tell you essentially the future of what would happen if you continue with positive behaviors. Does it say, hey, I just noticed that you started going for runs twice a week. That's excellent. If you keep this up, you might live 10 years longer. Obviously, it doesn't have to be definitive, but it can give you some feedback that incentivizes you to maintain the behaviors that are positive for you based on the data that it already has. It can say continue and you can lose this much weight in this amount of time if you continue your eating. And then for me, if I was getting this, I would be much more likely to log my eating into the app because I can see that it's working things out for me and it's giving me the value and the feedback. I don't know about you, but it would make me much more inclined to share more data Companies before this wave have been trying to get more and more data for their own benefit. If they open up that benefit to me as an individual, I would be more likely to give even more data. So something that I've been talking about is get the training guides, talk about your goals, have these apps. So even if we think about the car, the connected car, have them be your trainer, your motivator, your biggest fan, something that looks after you, gives you some value. Quick ones, things like this. I can see you're getting tired. 
at the same or similar point last week, but you picked it up. You had a strong finish. You can do that again. You can do it. You're doing 10% better than usual as you're doing your runs. This one's in the finance space. So going back to those like easy benchmarking examples, you're in the top 10% of savers for your income bracket. That would be great to know. Like, where am I sitting? Based on your spend and your history or based on your specific patterns, we can see that this month you'll be saving 250 bucks. Great. This is how I would be, like that little celebration. I'd be happy to receive that as something personalized and meaningful and based on, on my history or things like this. Your electricity bill has gone up. The data is there. The companies have it. They can use it to give me alerts about how I can improve my behavior, give me alerts to benefit me. I would gladly go to a bank that gives me this stuff that I feel that looks after me. A lot of what we had through the Royal Commission and the fallout after that, obviously leading up to that as well, is that the trust in the banks has disappeared. There's so much that can be done with the data inside the organizations to benefit customers. This would be the same for business owners. If you have a business owner and they're getting information about, hey, your cash flow is improving, your costs are decreasing, watch out for this expense versus all other ones. As a business owner, it helps you focus on the right things because as a business owner, you want to focus on your clients or on your product. Finances is something that generally takes a back seat, especially for small to medium business owners. So if we can have this aid, this support that gives you like, here's the three things I need to know. Cash flow is improving. Great. You're saving more money. Keep that up. Watch out for this one. This expense. Great. Like easy. It means that the thinking has been, the worrying and the vigilance has been outsourced. Really powerful. I think health insurance. As a consumer, like I feel that the health insurer is typically more trying to move me to using the extras and saying, hey, go to yoga, go to the chiropractor, do these other things and try to stay away from the hospital. So I might be a cynic and I say, well, when I go into the hospital, it's really expensive for them. And when I use the extras, it's really cheap. So obviously, they're trying to push me to the cheap stuff for them, right? Maybe. But it could be flipped the other way around and say, if you do these things, this is the benefit for you. So if you go to yoga once a week and you go see the Cairo once a quarter, then you'll save more than 500 bucks or more than a thousand bucks on your healthcare in a year. And you'd have some other side benefits. It can be living longer, being fitter, being this, being that. And tell me that information. Another one, this one's about shoes. So having more sensors in the shoes, there's already sensors in the shoe, actually. Nike had a particular shoe that has sensor that then they said, oh, when somebody runs more than five times in eight weeks, then they get addicted to the happiness hormone that's released. And then they're very likely to continue a semi-consistent running pattern if they go for five runs in the first eight weeks and they had a sensor in the shoe. Fine. Good. Yes. How about if it went a little bit further and to say, when you run more than 5Ks, your feet start to roll in. We can see that from the data, obviously from the sensors being picked up. And then the recommendation to say the shoes that you have don't give you enough support for when you run past that point. So you need something with a higher arch. You need shoes, running shoes with a higher arch that will support you during that time if you want to go for those longer runs at the moment. Here's the shoe that you should get. Obviously, there's other alternatives. You can strengthen, you can go to physio, etc. But having that information and being able to make that decision, I think, uh, powerful. Cybersecurity, I might go through these quickly. There might be some people that actually work in cybersecurity and know a lot more. From my perspective, just as a layman, having antivirus and operating systems doing a lot of the heavy lifting, as in firewalls and things like that, doing a lot of the heavy lifting for me, there's, I never hear about what it's doing. 
And it might be something really simple to say, here's what's been happening. This is what's been coming in. These are current weaknesses. Here's some steps on how to improve. Nothing, nothing too intrusive. We were successful in blocking an attack. Hopefully not this one, an attack got through. So I think even in cybersecurity, there's a lot that can be done. After those examples, so we started with the aim, as in, or this next wave to say, as an analytics uh, community, and the next wave of successful companies applying analytics will be applying the analytics to benefit the customer. And then we spoke about using benchmarking, predictions and forecast, and the key drivers as some easy things that can be shown back to the customer so they know about how, what they're doing and make better decisions. We went through some examples. This is on the summary end of the talk. What do customers want? Things like, what am I doing? I'm living my life. Tell me, what is it that I'm doing? I'm, I'm leaving all these digital traces everywhere. Feed that back to me. Give me some summaries, some perspective on my life. How can I do better? We spoke about those human aims. How am I going against others, the benchmarking? Is there people similar to me even better? But you can start quite broad, just with demographic information. How am I going against others? And then what's something about me that I don't know, which might be your feet roll in once you run more than 5Ks. Great. I wouldn't know that about myself. Great. Super value. I wouldn't know that my electricity bill went up. Great. Value. So in general, it's like, it's about using your smarts to benefit me. Obviously not me, me, but the consumer, an individual, somebody that you can very easily put yourself in their shoes. And we spoke about some easy ways with the benchmarking, etc. You can start with internal data, add some free external data, start buying some external data to enhance the offering, make sure you're collecting more data from the customers as they're happy to volunteer it back to you because of the value that you've added with your work. And I think this is a really key point for me in this premise is that a lot of the information that's being passed back to me as a consumer at the moment from different companies is from individual data points. This is your time on this one kilometer. And then if I ran three kilometers, here's your one kilometer time for each of them. I go, fine, whatever. Not super useful. Like there's no insight. There's no pattern. How am I going against my time a month ago, two months ago, this time last year? I've been training more. Am I getting faster? I've been running more. Am I getting faster? Are my time's improving? So if we can go from the simple, we collect data, we show you that data, and then have the consumer do the work of tracking, of analyzing, of insights, I believe that we should take that on, that the next wave of successful companies in this space will be taking that on and to say, you know, you're running three times more than you were four months ago, but your times are not improving. Did you know that? I'd be like, no, I did not know that. I don't track it closely enough, but I do try to run a couple times a week. So first thing, I'd be like knocking on my neighbor's door. The dude's super fit. I'd be like, how do I get faster, mate? I'd be, anyway, improving. We're looking for the information. Compare me against me, me against others. Tell me how to do better. And that the more that we do this, I think that we'll be building much better relationships with our customers. We'll be showing care as a result, building trust, adding value, and that through that, people would be happier, more likely to volunteer more data. And we can start to get a lot more personal, a lot more intimate with our products, with our services, once we start focusing on the value for them. This is what I think will be the next wave. Thank you. Questions? Felipe, as someone who's always struggled with his weight for his height, where is the app that helps me grow taller? Are there any questions for Felipe and do you have any freebies for the crowd? Oh, I should have come prepared. I should have seen that Elijah was first and that. Are there any questions for Felipe? Yes. How do you deal with customers that currently don't want to volunteer their data because they find targeted advertising incredibly creepy? 
Yeah, definitely. And I have a, a guy in my team that literally we went for a team lunch. He paid and generally one person pays and everyone sort of pays them. So he paid and then we said, what's your account? A number. He's like, I don't give it away. And we're like, sorry? Smart guy, right? Like the guy is actually a genius. But I was shocked. I was like, shit, like I'm throwing my bank account numbers like going out of fashion. So I think the way to do it is start with the data that you have of the customers that you have and know that it's not something that's going to grab the entire customer base. So there's people in developed countries that are not on Facebook, right? And I know I don't know people that are very deliberate about staying off Facebook for those reasons. If we can start working more under this premise of adding value to the customer, I think that there'll be less people that will be in that category because there will be more trust, but there will always be people that won't jump into this offering. What do you find is the best way to sell these kinds of analytics to businesses that won't drive any direct value from them, but perhaps might? Love it. When I was at ANZ, we started doing some of the benchmarking for these large companies and we started putting those analytics or presenting those analytics as part of sales pitches through tender responses. So say a large company like Vodafone says, I need corporate cards. They ask four or five major banks to come and present their offering. Everyone gets an hour. In that hour, we would go with our analytics, put it at the front, and we found that we would spend 50 to 55 minutes of the hour talking about the insights that we found. And then at the end, we're talking about the financial product, which is the part that's known. And they go, yeah, you need 7,000 commercial cards. Here's the rate. Do you want it in your brand logo, your brand colors? Yes, no, easy. Like that part will be easy, done. And we were differentiating ourselves by using analytics as this value add. I think that that is a good way to prove it, ideally, and especially in the B2B space, because that will be a really easy entrant. In the B2C space, I think that it, it can be tougher. And my recommendation would be to lead with the work. So essentially, if there is some easy benchmarking that can be done or some easy key drivers that can be done as piggybacking off the analysis that's done for the internal company, and then if that can be shown as people, as a human, you would find value in and say, why don't we try to push this out through our app or through our product, but show that it can be done and that there's some thinking behind it first, try to lead with the work, and it's a way to start a, making a difference. A broad question given that you're talking about thesis and going forward. This lady's point. I think people push back where they see a lot of the data being aggregated by larger organizations mm -hmm. trying to get. Whereas uh, they might be happy with a Fitbit to know all about your running times and your geo position, but they might not be happy with their bank knowing that. So, what's your feeling as to, if you like, the aggregation of data in large companies versus the isolation of valuable data in small groups? Really, really interesting point. So on one side, the large companies already have all that data. And for example, when I was working at ANZ, we would be able to see when people uh, don't go to work, when they're sick, when they're late, based on their transactions, based on their credit card. Obviously, we wouldn't be saying that to them. Hey, you're late for work. Get up. The data is there. I think that there's definitely a risk of crossing the creepy line by saying, hey, here's everything that we know about you because we see all your transactions in the case of a bank. And definitely starting slow, starting personalized. I think that that's a key point that you touched on, that the things like the Fitbit only know that side, this part of your life, and only about you. So if you go to some companies that have a lot more data and you said, here's how your savings or your spend has compared versus you last month, three months ago, six months ago, you're doing better than what you've done in the past. And then I would say that's an easy start. And then ask for permission. Would you like to know more? Would you like to know 
what your top three expenses are. Click here for yes, swipe for yes, and start to get that permission. There's a company in Western Australia that do oil and gas, Woodside, Woodside Petroleum. So they have an LNG plant, and they started tracking the performance of the plant from what the operators were doing. So they had about 20,000 sensors that were streaming live real-time data to the cloud. And they wanted to tell the operators how to do a better job. And instead of using those words, what they said was, Felipe, we can see that when you had this exact same shift three Thursdays ago, you were operating the plant at a 1.5% better than today. Would you like to know what you did then? Swipe for yes. And then creating sort of that intrigue, that desire, asking for that permission in that way, people were accepting and saying, yes, I want to know how I did it. And then they had that program run for about nine months before they started opening to say, in this shift, people have done 2% better than you. Would you like to know what they did? But that was about nine months after they had the time or it was just me against me. And I think that that's a good way to start lowering people's barriers in terms of the acceptance and definitely ask for that permission. Thank you. I wanted to tell you about the RMIT Online Masters of Data Science Strategy and Leadership. I was one of the industry advisors for this program. It's an online master's program and it covers both data science strategy and leadership and it has also a technical component. Highly, highly recommend it for people wanting to get ahead. With the program, you can gain this advanced strategic leadership and data science capabilities required to influence executive leadership teams and deliver organization-wide solutions. For more information, visit online.rmit.edu. I wanted to tell you about We Are Rubik's, one of Australia's leading pure data consulting companies delivering project outcomes for some of the world's leading brands. Growing rapidly and with offices in Melbourne, Sydney and the US, Rubik's are as serious about analytics as they are about their pinball. True story, they have like 10 pinball machines in their Melbourne head office. If you're interested in joining a passionate and vibrant team who make work fun, Head to wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That's wearerubix, all one word, wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.